This one coming through uh, here says, when we consider Hindus, worship literally millions of gods. It's not hard to believe the cult of Prince Philip. When we separate ourselves from God, um, from God, anything goes. Interesting enough, Prince Philip is a um, member of the Club of, of Rome, has been very vocal on population control. And um, in one of his speeches, that when he died, he would like to come back as a virus to depopulate the world. I've not heard that. I have. Oh, you have? Okay, yeah. you've heard that one. Um, he, he did not like the human masses. Okay, so, yeah. yeah. They're worshipping somebody who wants to genocide them. I'm sure you all know about it. How sad, sad is that? And people worshipped him. Even Jesus loves him. Even Jesus loves all, even those who hate him. Mm. And then, I guess, for Isaiah, which is incorrect. So we're starting to eliminate them here. We're running out of people in the Bible. <laughs> okay, but this person is in the right part of the Bible. Ooh. All right, if you divide up into those big sections, this person is in the right part uh, of the Bible. So, yeah. Clues, clues, clues today. Give an extras. Indeed. So indeed. benevolent. Is, is it because you've missed Monday, Tuesday? You're just feeling like... I'm being generous. <laughs> I'm just being generous. <laughs> yeah. All right, what's our prize real quick? Uh, the prize is a DVD by David Asherick, who is a, an Adventist theologian and pastor and apologist and a bunch of other things, and it's called Reasons of the Heart. Okay. So if you want to grab yourself a copy of that and you know the answer to the quiz today, please give us a call at the station, 1-800-324-843, or text through 0491-064-669. All right. So let's go to uh, our Bible study, and we're going to be talking today about the covenants. I've got a little little intercession on one. Oh, okay, 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 okay. <laughs> so I actually preached at Dungog a fortnight ago. Yes. And because this is the new start of a new book, new subjects, I'd heard it was on Genesis. And I'm like, Genesis, love Genesis. I love reading about all of it, love discussing all of it, love the stories. Probably Genesis 18 is one of my favorite parts of the Bible, the dialogue between Abraham and God. And so <laughs> when I was preaching out there, they also said, can you do the Bible study? I went, yep, no worries. And I'd had a really busy week running around, attending schools, putting together contracts, signing documents, um, doing all my family stuff as well, doing my college stuff as well. I didn't have time to do the study. And so I'm driving home with my wife on Friday night and I said, can you look up? I thought I said this week's. She believes I said today's or tomorrow's. Listen. Okay. okay. I said, just send it to me. It's on Genesis. I this should. Is, be- this is great. You know, I'm. I'm so glad to hear that. Um, <laughs> I'm not the only husband and wife couple who mishear things from time to time. <laughs> I thought it's Genesis. I know it really well. I should just be able to go off the top of my head with the context of what's in front of me. So my wife sends me a link. I'm like you, beauty, sorted. Get there the next day. Open up my phone. Click on the link. Awesome. Start asking people. Oh, can you read these verses, please? They sort of look at me like what. Oh, okay. And, and this is 20 million movement Bible study, so they're expecting you to go through the Bible study that they've been studying all week along with 20 million other people. Correct. They're expecting Genesis and the character of God, Genesis 127, 128 as the memory verse, and I'm starting in week two, Covenants. <laughs> and the head elder goes, nice. Daniel, what study are you doing? I looked down at my phone and went, oh, excuse me while I skip. Because <laughs> <laughs> I looked at it and went, covenants? Yeah, covenants are in Genesis, but I really thought you would have, oh, that's fine, whatever, I'll, I'll just roll with it. 
So I had a bit of a laugh. They had a bit of a laugh. Because they asked me afterwards and I said, look, I'll tell you the truth what happened. And I told them the story. So there's no point lying about it. I'll be up front. So, so did, you, did, you, did, you, did you throw your wife under the bus? Here? I did. Yeah. <laughs> I messaged her a bit of a laugh and she didn't think it was that funny. So <laughs> you told me, oh, okay, well, I thought it was a joke and funny and laugh and never mind then. But that's the... So today, yes, I've got the right lesson. I okay. know what we're talking about. Oh, you do? I do. Really? Yes. Are you sure? Well, you're frightening have me you, now. Have, but you, have you double have you double checked <laughs> with your wife? Uh, not this morning. She was well asleep when I left. <laughs> All right. So, start us off. What verse are we starting in? We're starting in Genesis six eighteen. Okay, this is a good start. We're in the right place. Yeah, that was a test right there. <laughs> it's just, it, sure. just, just making sure. Just making sure. I could just I could just throw a complete red herring out there and worry everybody again. They go, "What is this guy on about? He's got no clue." Yeah, Hebrews chapter eight. Let's go to Hebrews. Chapter All right. 8. So, because you're the boss and you read KJV, and even even though I loved KJV, it I have got NLT this morning uh, just for well, you. Not everybody gets to um, <laughs> rule, rule the roost. Be extra blessed. <laughs> Okay, Genesis 6.18. Bible says, But I will confirm my covenant with you, so enter the boat, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Okay, and in the RSV it says, Behold, I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, your sons, wives, with you. And in the KJV it says, But with you I will establish my covenant, and you shall come into the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons, wives, with you. Okay, so when we read this um, this verse right here, do we have the basics of a biblical, biblical covenant in this passage? Yes. Okay. Um, and in what way do we see the basics of a biblical covenant in this passage? Because God's providing a circumstance. and you need, when, when you're doing a covenant, you need two sides to it. There needs to be an agreement on particular things, and God is telling them, come into the ark, you, your wives, your sons, sons' wives, and so forth. Now, the inference, obviously, from what we've been reading and what we understand outside of this actual verse in itself, there's going to be a great calamity. But God is providing a not only a physical salvation from this calamity, but a spiritual salvation as well, and the continuation of the line of David through to Christ. And it's, I just, I, I love this this section of the Bible. I love the first. You know, twenty-something chapters of Genesis, probably my favourite parts. That and Revelation, two favourite books. And I really enjoy seeing and picking these things apart because even though it seems so simple and it's so long ago, and there's a lot of lost information that's probably from the time. You know, there's all these genealogies and people doing these things that aren't heavily explained in the Bible. There's so much you can unpack from so little that we're given, and I just absolutely love this story. And one of the things that I, I find interesting that stands out to me is that. It talks about Noah being righteous in the eyes of the Lord, but doesn't talk about his sons and his sons' wives and his wife. It says Noah's righteous. It doesn't say the family is. Now, you could argue it says, I'll make a covenant with you, and you can use that as a circumstance of multiple people. But to me, it's like he's making a covenant with Noah, who's the righteous one. The family comes along by proxy. And there's, there's an element here where... Nobody would have been excluded from the ark who wanted to get on. True. And so let's say that you had some people who were looking for some flood insurance, so to speak, <laughs> and gone on the ark. Would the covenant have applied to them in the same way that it applied to Noah? Mm. If 
just their presence on the ark. Yeah, that's right. If, they, if they're like, yeah, we're going to take out some flood insurance, we're going to go and sit on this ark for uh, a couple of weeks and just sort of see what happens. And if and if it rains, then then fine, we're on the ark. And if it doesn't, well, hey, we uh, we're in quarantine with a bunch of animals for a couple of weeks. Anyone can handle that, and we'll just go back to our normal lives. But it might be good insurance because we might be feeling a little bit uh, s- sort of suspicious that something might happen now. I don't think so. I think there needs to be more than just the provision of your present inside the ark at the time. That invitation needs to be extended by God. That agreement needs to be made, not just I'll turn up, sit down and be saved. Yeah, I think that there's absolutely, that's true. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. You know, particularly when we look at the new covenant where God says, I want to write my law in your heart and in your mind, there is more to a covenant than just doing the terms of the covenant. Yeah. And so when you make this point about God says, you know, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And so uh, Noah receives the covenant. God says, I make this covenant with you. Um, is it a way of God saying, is God saying y'all or you? You. He's saying you. Yeah, very much so. You can you use at, you as a plural, but I don't think it's that way in this sense. You look at Noah's sons, and you know there was one of them that was definitely unrighteousness and ended up being under the curse of God. Yep. Now, there's no reason for us to suspect that you know he did not repent and receive grace as well. The Bible doesn't record everything that happens. You know, it would be ridiculously long if it did. It gives us the uh, the big picture there. But sin is one of those things that does pop up in everybody's life, yep. and. In Ham's case, it definitely popped up, and it was a bit of a bad thing there. And we can see, when we look at Genesis 6 and 5, like the reason this has come about, and the Bible says, The Lord observed the extent of the human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. And you look at a circumstance like that, everything, Everything. Imaginations of mind. Everything being only evil. all the time. Yes. Those are three things that that verse says. It and says every, it says only, and it says all the time. An absolute mm-hmm. greater number. And it's really amazing because when you look look at it historically of what was actually going on in the world at that time from the records that still exist, like the amount of atrocities, the horrible things that were going on, the sacrifices to pagan deities outside of it, when you have a world that is completely... <laughs> Enshrouded in the future, you know, in Darwinism, essentially, survival of the fittest. I want to do everything I can for myself in a particular way so that I gain, I have, I am to a degree, as opposed to the complete opposite of that, who was Jesus and did nothing for himself. Everything he did was 100% completely selfless. And it's really interesting that people argue against this because they'll, particularly outside of Christian circles, they'll go on and talk about how, oh, well, God wiped out men and women and children as well, and they don't understand that the act of the flood was merciful because of the world they were existing in was so horrible. It broke God's heart for the future generations to continue to grow up in that world and further fall away from him. He had an opportunity here to make an agreement with Noah, make a covenant, save that bloodline, save the one righteous person that found grace in his eyes and his family to continue the generations, and we really see a great way that that leads into the promise later on given to Abraham. And it just, you can't deny the beauty of God's plan at all, in any way, shape or form. And if somebody does, they've got rocks in their head. 
Yeah, absolutely. This is this is this is so true. Okay, so when we look at this covenant here, um, I will establish my covenant with you. You will come into the ark, you, your sons, your your sons' wives, uh, with you. And so, um, God says, I'll establish this covenant with you. You come in with your family. They then come under the blessings of that covenant. They then have the opportunity to receive that covenant themselves and to be a part of that themselves by accepting that covenant. Um, it seems like a very simple. Agreement, but if you look into it, what are some of the other details that you find in this covenant? What what else you know do we see other than God just saying, "Hey, go into the ark and I'll save you"? It's actually a future representation of the covenant of that Christ makes with us. How? Because Noah is this righteous person; he's found favor in the eyes of the Lord. His family's not, and we're all considered sinners. We're considered evil from evil thoughts from birth. We look at Genesis nine twenty one. The Bible says, nope, that's the wrong, 9.21. I've got the wrong, maybe it's 8.21, stand by. Okay, we'll stand by. Maybe <laughs> maybe the NLT is putting you off right there. It's 8.21, I don't know why I've written 9. It says, Lord was pleased with the remover of the sacrifice and said to himself, I'll never again curse the ground because of the human race, even though everything they think or imagine is bent toward evil from childhood. And so we inherently are sinful. Mm-hmm. We have no provision to have God's mercy and God's grace. We should be destroyed in the lake of fire. Every single person in the world in existence completely deserves that. However, God wants a relationship with us. He wants us with him for eternity for reasons I don't understand because we are just horrible. (laughs) And so he provides this provision of an everlasting covenant that we are able to take part in. We are able to be those sinful relatives of Noah who get this opportunity to be with God and have this beautiful coexistence, this this circumstance of knowing him and loving him in such an amazing way that we don't comprehend right now because of things like this covenant, Abraham's covenant, and the ones that are made throughout the Bible. Absolutely. Well, uh, one of our listeners has called through uh, to talk about this subject. Bruce, welcome to the show. Hello, Bruce, are you there? Yep. Yeah, I'm there. Um. I was just thinking about, because I've always thought about it, that, you know, when people say, well, why didn't God kill Satan, you know, when he first sinned? And um, obviously, because that wouldn't solve the problem. Everybody served God out of here. Well, and it wouldn't solve. Well, we have a look at the flood. God wipes out the whole human race. He's showing and what happens. We're back to square one again. Uh, in the long run, they're worshipping idols, you know, and whatever. So... I think God, you know, because this, the earth is a theatre for the universe and he's just revealing these things to us. And I think that's one of the big reasons why it's love. Yeah, it's, it's a revelation of the nature of sin and how sin works in the in the heart and mind of whoever participates in it. And it's, it's, yeah. not, just, it's not just the pagans and the non-Hebrews and non-Israelites who are worshipping these idols, it's also the Hebrews and the Israelites we see through Kings and Chronicles. They erect Asher poles. They have temp- uh, worship altars to Baal. There's this worship going on even in the environment of the Israelites and the Hebrews who are connected with God. And you can just see yeah. how far they've fallen over time. That's a really great point, brother. Yeah, and Bruce, just picking up yeah, on that. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and especially when we think, like, when they built the Tower of Babel, well, that was basically the whole human race again it was it was Noah's family you know it wasn't necessarily bad people that's who they were they were Noah's family who were building the tower 
and they'd forgotten all about that promise that God said he wouldn't flood the earth with the rainbow, you know. They, so they didn't believe what he said and uh, back to trying to save themselves by building this tower and really um, they are the principles that we fall into, trying to save ourselves and not really having faith in God. Yeah, it's a fascinating it's a fascinating story, the Tower of Babel, because when I think about that, Bruce, you've got a, a group of people who who's, who actually believe in God. They're not denying the existence of God because they build that tower as a way of surviving their rebellion against God. They're like, well, last time we rebelled against God, God flooded the world, um, and so this time, um, if in case God floods the world, then we're going to build the tower so that we're able to survive it. Um, yeah. Which so that you know they're basically like this is how we survive our rebellion. So very different kind of rebellion what we have in our world today. Yeah, it kind of also shows you Tower of Babel how their thinking was. You know, he's, God's told them in His promises, "I will never again flood the earth," but they don't they don't concern themselves with that. They just want to build the tower up because they're concerned about the history that's happened. Never mind the promises that God's given. You can see how far they've fallen from knowing the character of God and what he will do and what he won't do. When he says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. When he says he won't do something, you can rest assured on that promise. And Bruce, coming back to something that you, just picking up on something you said there at the beginning in that, you know, this world is the object lesson of the universe and at the flood, you know, God is demonstrating a couple of things. Number one is, is demonstrating, well, you know, just if you, if you wipe everybody out that has uh, chosen to sin, then that's not necessarily the solution to the problem. But there's also another um, aspect that I see coming through there in which at the time of the flood, you know, God closes probation on the entire world and he gives the date. It's like 120 years from now it's going to happen. Uh, then, you know, we're coming up to a time when God will close probation on the whole world and he doesn't give a date. And some people are like, well, why doesn't he just give a date? Well, you know, we'd all, if we had that date, we'd all just take out some celestial insurance and <laughs> like the week before we were like, okay, Jesus is coming back next week. We'll get ready. And... Uh, um, and, 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 you know, that never worked in the past, so why would it work in the future? And so I think that I see God here in these events is demonstrating that it, there's, there is only one way that salvation can ever, ever work effectively. It's interesting too, like when we're talking about Noah, that what that covenant that God made with Noah, well, he didn't even have a family yet. Because you had a look at the age, he had his sons when he was 500, and the flood came when he was 600, and yet it was 120 years God gave probation. So it was 20 years before he had a family. That's a very interesting point. So he receives this covenant before his family is born. Yeah, Bruce, thank you for raising those issues. Um, We're going to have to move on. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different with the covenant with Noah this morning as we've been working our way through our 20 million movement Bible study um, just as we come back to it there Daniel a question that I've got is okay we've got a very simple covenant here but what are the conditions of this covenant I think overall faithfulness in and to the Lord yes I think you're thinking too deeply <laughs> You know that's what we do. Conditions to the covenant was walk up the gangplank. Get inside. <laughs> yes, indeed. All right, before we get to uh, looking at the conditions of the covenant, maybe I'm looking at it a little bit too simply. Um, <laughs> let's go to our quiz. Let's have another clue for our quiz. Okay. No one's got this yet. By the way, it was great to have Bruce call through. It was. And we like to hear from our listeners, so give us a call. We'd love to hear from you guys and to share your thoughts and even disagree with us. We're happy for you to have a disagreement. Yes. Um, just give us a call. We, we don't always get things right here. 
There's this thing called being a human. Fallibility. So, hey, if we got it wrong, give us a call. Let us know. Show us where in the Bible we're wrong. Yes. We're happy to hear from you. But uh, 1-800-324-843 or text us on 0491-064-669. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Actually, a great quiz. A great quiz to go with um, our show today, where we we're talking about you know n- the covenant with Noah, because what you end up with is a covenant there that takes place uh, with the Assyrians. Yep. Imagine God making a covenant with the Assyrians, and, and we got where God says, you know, I'm going to destroy the city, and then God says, like, no, I won't destroy the city. Um, absolutely brutal. The Assyrians. Can I share something a little bit? I think I might have shared a little bit large. That's fine. We 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 don't want to tear people down. We want them to get these answers yes. and, and find joy in knowing that God's word is everlasting and uh, we have it on our hearts and our minds all the time. Then we can act more appropriately like Jesus. Can I share a little bit about the Assyrians? Uh, yeah, sure. Why not? Okay, so this is from a book by an author with the surname of Mark. I have his reference in somewhere, one of my essays that I did for college. It says, The Assyrians created the world's first great army and the world's first great empire. This was held together by two factors, their superior abilities in siege warfare and their reliance on sheer, unadulterated terror. It was Assyrian policy always to demand that examples be made of those who resisted them. This included deportations of entire peoples and horrific physical punishments. And uh, King Ashurbanipal, one of the Assyrian kings, wrote on a tablet, I built a pillar at the city of the gate. I flayed all the chief men who had revolted. I covered the pillar with their skin. Some I walled up inside the pillar. Some I impaled upon the pillar on stakes. And that's kind of uh, just part of the course when it comes to it's the way the Assyrians rule the world. And, you know, God makes a covenant with these guys. And, yeah, wow. But you can see, like, you've got this behaviour going on later on in other books after Noah, where they are completely brutal and bloodthirsty and things that we wouldn't even imagine today. Now, there are parts, parts of the world who would still undertake brutal activities similar to that in circumstances of war, in circumstances of uh, disagreements in religious faith. So you can see why this flood's come about. But because God has made us with a specific purpose and for a specific purpose, there needs to be some sort of circumstance where there is a portion that's saved, kept, and preserved, because otherwise the plan falls apart. Like if we just if we wiped out everybody, went yeah, look, you know what? Noah's a sinner too. See you later, mate. You're gone. I'm going to start fresh and anew. To me, that would be God's incorrect in what He does, and God can't be incorrect. If God's incorrect, then the whole universe falls apart, and nothing makes sense. So in order for his plan to be successful because of the fallibility and stupidity of humans, there needs to be that intercession of you're faithful, you've found grace in the eyes of the Lord, therefore you'll be saved, your family comes along as well to help continue that lineage. And this is quite possibly the most important covenant in the Old Testament. And it's sort of when you look at all these covenants, they are all about preserving the knowledge of God in the world. You know, right the way through. Okay, so we're going to come back to uh, what we were talking about before, and we were talking about the covenant, and uh, I asked whether there was conditions to the covenant, 
And you sort of like, yeah, thanks. <laughs> I'm like, no, deep, the condition was deep ideas. Walk up the gangplank. But it wasn't because you said before. When we're which, which really is, we, we actually said the same thing. Yes. When you think about it, we Walking said the same up thing. has that faith in, in God. and Exactly. Yeah. But if you were just a, a, a you know Johnny pagan worshipper and like, oh, I'll walk up the plank too, th- there needs to be that internal submission to God, the act of walking up the... Now you think about this for a moment. You think about the way that you know our brains work and how that we always deny that anything bad is going to happen. And if you think if you were living in the world, you know, and you based your understanding of the natural world off the principle of uniformity, you know, everything continues as it was from the beginning of creation, uh, which was what the you know, which is the is the foundational principle of uh, evolution. It is the foundational principle that the antediluvians were using when they looked at the world. And you know, you're getting one bright sunny day gorgeous day after another after another after another and it's just always been that way and has never been bad it's hard to imagine that something bad would happen and then you get this boat you build this massive boat on dry land and you fill it with animals and and then you you walk up the gangplank in there and and uh, the door closes and you're in there with all of these animals you know day after day after day you would seriously start to feel like a bit of a goose Seven days, nothing happens. Seven days, nothing happens. Now, place yourself, <laughs> place yourself in the shoes of Noah because, you know, the greatest scientific minds possibly that our world has ever seen were telling him how ridiculous this was. This is absolute insanity. And so you've got all this um, evidence coming through that, you know, everything around you is telling you this is, this is ridiculous. And yet... God has told you, no, this is what's going to happen and where are you going to place your trust? Are you going to place your trust in what God has said or are you going to place your trust in what your senses are revealing to you? And you can really imagine how for about seven days they would be sort of, those thoughts would go through through your mind. You're a human being. You're going to have self-doubts. And even after that, they're in the boat for the ark for about a year. About that. Same thing. The water's there. Day after day for a year, nothing changes. You're sitting there going... That's right. Where's all the water oh, going to go? Is this it? Is this our life now? Mm-hmm. And when you think about how long a year is when you, you process and go, okay, I've gotten up since, you know, f- five o'clock this morning. It's now 8.30. It's three and a half hours. You, you expand that out to a year of being inside this ark with all these animals going through the motions day after day. You'll be wondering if there's an end to it. And I really think that these circumstances speak to a testament of Noah's character and his... His, his way of being invested in God and his promises because I would be really questioning what's going on, I think, personally. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. And now it is time for... Question of the Day. All right, question of the day time. It is, what is the close of probation and when does it occur? Very good question. Okay, so the close of probation is a phrase, a term that you'll often use, Christians use. It is not something that you're going to read in the Bible. And so close of probation is, it, it refers to a period of time. And so you'll find on various occasions that God will set a period of time apart for a, a city, a nation, an individual. Um, we just saw one in an empire. Noah. 
Sorry? We just saw one in Noah, and we're talking about... The whole the world? The Syrians in Nineveh, who had 40 days. That's right. Yes, we did have that. And so when you look at all these different examples, what you've got is a period of time in which God says, okay, this is the period of time in, in which you have an opportunity to give your lives to me. And so with the end to live in world, it's like you've got 120 years mm. uh, to get your act together and to come back to God. With um, Nineveh, as you mentioned, you've got 40 days. And you've got two different examples there. One of Nineveh who does turn around and does come to the surface of God and does repent and God spares them. You've got another one in the antediluvian world that doesn't. Now, when we talk about the close of probation in you know the context of end-time events, we're generally talking about that time period when intercession ceases in heaven because when judgments come, that's because intercession has ceased. It's over. So when judgments came on the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, intercession had ceased for those cities, for the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. God rescues his righteous people out of them, and then those cities are destroyed. When probation closes for Belshazzar, Intercession has ceased and is written on the wall. Many, many tekel you fasten. You are weighed in the balances and found warning. You've been judged. Your judgment is over and you are not saved. For most people, their probation closes when they die because that's when their opportunity for salvation comes to an end. So close of probation refers to the close of the opportunity for salvation. If you go to Revelation, you're going to find uh, an interesting statement here. Uh, Let's go to... Uh, let me see here, Revelation chapter 22 and verse 11, where the Bible says, He that is unjust, and this is a pronouncement that is made at the end of time, He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. He which is filthy, let him be filthy still. He that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I come quickly. So you read this through in its context, and you're finding, okay, this is a statement that God is making, and then he says, And behold, I come quickly. So in other words, it happens just before Jesus comes back, is the statement is made, okay, that's it, it's over, it's done, um, the decision has been made, he that's righteous stays righteous, he that's wicked stays wicked. And I'm coming back, the decision is made, it's over and done. Time has, time has come to an end. And uh, if you were to look for that uh, a few passages back, if you go back to Revelation chapter 15, you're going to find out when this actually happens. 15 and verse 8, the Bible says, The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no man was able to enter into the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. Now the Bible tells us to come boldly to the throne, throne of grace that we might find help in time of need. We know that the throne of God is in the temple of God. And here we have a pronouncement made that the temple is filled with smoke and no one can go in there. In other words, the intercession, uh, the work of the temple, it's over. It's done. It's finished. Uh, Jesus doesn't go in there. Jesus is on his way back to this earth, so he doesn't go in there during this time period. Intercession has come to an end. Probation has closed. The pronouncement has been made. You know, he that's righteous, let him be righteous still. He that is wicked, let him be wicked still. And so that's what we refer to as the close of probation. And you'll notice here that this event takes place just before the seven last plagues fall. Now, when we talk about that, you do get some people who freak out a little bit and say, well, how do we actually survive that period if we don't have an intercessor in heaven? The answer is very simple. If you go to Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, Jesus says this, I will never leave you or forsake you. Mm. We can never live without Jesus. We can live without Jesus in the temple in heaven, but we will never be without Jesus. We will never stand alone without Jesus, and it will be his miraculous power that gets us through that time period of 
the close of probation. Amen. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.